You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Pride to Detroit POD cast is brought to you by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky, and it's the jerky that fuels your Detroit Lions. Righteous Felon Jerky and Meat Sticks are available to Lions players at the training facilities at Allen Park, and each two-ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein, and each stick has 8 grams. Trust me, if it's good enough for the Lions and the POD cast, it's going to be good enough for you, too. Righteous Felon is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and they use locally sourced, all-natural Black Angus beef, and they pride themselves on superior quality, revolutionary branding, and unique flavors that go beyond the stereotypical jerky offering. For our listeners, we have a special offer for you. Go to RighteousFelon.com and use the promo code POD15 at checkout. Get you 15% off your order. That's POD15 at RighteousFelon.com. And welcome to the Pride of Detroit POD cast, Pride of Detroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook. We say it every time. You know where to find us. We're live, lovely, and in color. Only if you're watching on twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit or on youtube.com slash at Pride of Detroit. But get podcasts, the POD cast, wherever you get your podcasts. I've learned how liberating a saying that is because the fun thing about podcasts is we're not beholden to a platform. It could be iTunes. It could be Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Is Stitcher still a thing? Sure. Why not? That's where you get podcasts. And that's what has kept us live and going for nine, going on 10 years here very soon. It has been a long t- This is going to be year number nine. I should say eight going on nine, but like I don't. I want to juice the numbers. We have a lot to do in the offseason. I am Chris Perfett, the adequate host at Chris Perfett on Twitter, P-E-R-F-E-T-T, being very adequate for getting numbers uh, to begin this thing. But if you are new to us, welcome. We don't go away in the offseason here on the Detroit Lions POD cast. We keep going all day, all night long. And here we are. It's after the, can we call it the Super Bowl? I, I don't think we have to do the big game thing, Jeremy Reisman, <laughs> I don't think so. at Detroit Online. No, that was we, always the, the best thing growing up. Right. <laughs> like, unless we're selling used cards, game. unless yeah, we this isn't the Super Bowl sale, so I think <laughs> we're we're okay. But yeah, no, it was a it's a good it was a it was a fun Super Bowl after after I think we got over the first quarter of like these teams suck right now. First Why half, couldn't really. this be us? Um, but yeah, it it really picked up really in the fourth quarter and overtime, and so uh, well, it's it a fun night. Hold that thought on. Yeah. All that, because that is the top. That is some of the topics here. We're going to investigate the Super Bowl from a Lions side of things, plus plenty of news, plus NFL honors reactions and Frank Ragnow not retiring, still keeping strong, getting you ready for the offseason here. But first, Ryan Matthews. Back is the rock guy. At Ryan underscored P.O.D. Ryan was having fun with the Super Bowl halftime show. And for those on the podcast, Ryan's whiteboard today, the Woody Page whiteboard, Kyle Shanahan is just oh, uh, 2000 to 2004 Andy Reid. Sunny days ahead. He'll eventually get a Super Bowl. I saw Maybe. the stat. I saw the stat that Kyle Shanahan is an offensive coordinator and head coach in the fourth quarter in OT has been outscored 68 to 12. Oh, man, he'd make he'd make a great Ben Johnson replacement when Ben Johnson becomes head coach in the 49ers fire him next year. <laughs> yeah, some of his game management will have to obviously be deferred to uh, Dan Campbell. It's, Dan it's Campbell. perfect. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. 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 You know what? It would be a perfect marriage. But yeah, uh, Dan Campbell so- would teach his team the overtime rules. <laughs> And, oh and Kyle Shanahan could call the plays. And, and he'd be like, Kyle, like, no, 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 no. We're not passing it here. We need to burn clock. <laughs> like, 
I don't. There, there's there's a lot, I think, that is outside the purview of this podcast on in regards to Shanahan and Brock Purdy, because I think that was the high watermark of Brock Purdy. But that's neither here nor there. We're for the Lions fans. And I want to ask the question that after about a half and a half of a quarter. So after two and a half quarters, all Lions fans were thinking, Jeremy, Ryan, and it's one that you told me, Jeremy, we need to talk about. And I almost felt dread because it makes yeah. me realize that I have to talk about the woulda, shoulda, couldas. But man, that game was sloppy from both the 49ers and the Chiefs. Do you act and Lions fans were asking. The Lions belonged here. Could they have beaten the Chiefs or were they a better team than the 49ers? Well, I think I think before I answer, I think we have to acknowledge how absurd the question is to begin with. Right. Because because they got beat they, by the 49ers. <laughs> because one, they got beat by the 49ers and two, how they played on Sunday against each other is not necessarily how they play against the Lions. Right. They have different game plans that, you know, the, the players are, are attacking the ball differently. The players are running the ball. Diff- like all. The, it's an absurd co- conversation to have. And there is no way to prove one way being right or the other. But. I would say there, there's a couple things. One, I think, and, and I, I refer to the first half as sloppy, but I think in general, like, that narrative is a little bit being overplayed because I think people tend to think offensive failure equals sloppy and not good defense, which both of these teams had. And yes, the Lions hung 24 on the 49ers in one half of football a couple weeks ago. But who's to say that, you know, they play, you play that game 10 times. Is it going to play out like that every time? I don't know. Probably not. And also, the 49ers knew they were going to be in a boat race with the, with the Lions, so they just kind of adopted that mentality of it's going to be a shootout. It, if, if the Chiefs were going up against the Lions, maybe they would adopt the kind of same shootout mentality. And could the Lions hold Mahomes to one less score than the Lions. I mean, yes, they did it back in week one, but I think we can both agree both teams are way different than they were in back it back in week one. So long story short, maybe, but I think the further away we get from the NFC championship game, the further we remember like the fur- further the memories of the downsides of this team, this Lions team were like defensively, they were bad. Defensively that's kind of the reason they lost in the NFC. I'm mean, not the sole reason like, but I, I think there tends to be this narrative that only the lions made mistakes in the second half of that NFC championship game. The 49ers didn't do anything. It was just the Lions shooting themselves in the foot offensively. That's there's a lot of truth to that. Defensively, there was a bouncing off the face mask and that's it. Like the, the 49ers scored on every second half possession and and that's because they have a really good offense and the Lions have a very bad defense. And so we can't overlook the Lions very bad defense just because both offenses struggled on the Super Bowl. Let me let me start by saying this is that to part of the question, do you think they were better team than the 49ers? The 49ers absolutely got away from their identity. And that's really hard to figure out because, yes, you could get away from your identity and go to Brock Purdy and the Lions defense is able to get carved up a little bit easier because Brandon, I, you can get free a little bit more. But like, man, that was rough watching them not run Christian McCaffrey out there. Like I, I, I felt like, again, the Lions, if we're looking at the question of whether the Lions could have beaten the Chiefs, it comes down to three things. Number one, this is the point in the positive for the Lions. I think they would have better game planning, better ideas on what to do with the clock, and they would have known how to run the football better and would have been a much better varied offense than what we saw out of the out of the 49ers last night in Super Bowl. Uh, what, what is the number on this? 58, 58, yep. 58. Like there's there's no doubt in my mind. This was not a good game by the 49ers. And that's been kind of the tale of the 49ers in these entire playoffs. They haven't played good games. They haven't played good halves. They have like a good half. I disagree with you on how sloppy it was because like the fumbles are just all over the field. And I don't I don't know. I don't think no amount of defense makes an entire half where the 49ers just don't get a first down. Like you're supposed to be a lot more effective as a team than that. And you're not. But 
then I, I think the Lions could have handled the better, the bigger picture a lot better. I think they could have been much better prepared. And I think they had much a much more varied set of weapons to attack the Chiefs. But could they have beaten the Chiefs? A, that other team just showed you why you're not going to beat the Chiefs because they have Patrick Mahomes. And when Patrick Mahomes gets going, Patrick Mahomes gets going and there's no weapon on earth that can stop that man when he decides to get going. And I know Lions fans are already gearing up and saying, well, we beat them week one. This isn't the same team as week one at all, at all. No, you 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 wouldn't have like this one. It feels a lot harsher to have dealt with. And the other part, and that's the other big point, is that this Super Bowl, a lot of this run to the Super Bowl for the Chiefs was won by their defense. Spagnolo proved he's got chops as a defensive coordinator and. I'm sorry, the Lions did not have to deal with Chris Jones to start the year. I think they could have probably scored more on the Chiefs defense, but I think ultimately when it would have been crunch time and there'd be some dialed up stuff, I I don't know. I'd love to sit here and say that the Lions would have beaten these Chiefs, but I think we saw late in that game why the Chiefs are almost damn near impossible to put away no matter what you do to them because they'll have, when you least expect it, they'll have something dialed up on a third down where they'll catch you completely off guard. And then before you know it, Patrick Mahomes is waltzing down the field for a touchdown. I do know, however, that Dan Campbell probably wouldn't have taken the ball first in overtime. And really, really quick before Ryan gets in here, because um, I want to go off the Spagnuolo stuff like that guy almost deserves assistant coach of the year just for the postseason. Holds Miami to seven points, holds the Bills to 24. Although they missed a field goal, which yeah. feels like a and then holds the Ravens to a season to 10. low. Yeah. 10 points. And then the 49ers to 19 in regulation, 22 overall. That that's how they won. That's how they won the Super Bowl. It was an incredible defensive performance. And they've got so many superstars on the defensive. Like they're they're a true like all three tiers of defense. And so Lions would have had some problem. Like if if you thought the 49ers gave them trouble in the first half, that Chiefs defense was going to give the Lions some issues all game. Yeah, I think it really comes down to could the Detroit Lions beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the third quarter? And uh, the Chiefs won that contest last night, 10 nothing. So I don't know. Like it, it is a bit of a silly proposition and I get it. And if you want to use the transitive property property of you know, the Lions beat the Chiefs earlier in the year. You guys already talked about that. Um, but I think that the the Chiefs defense, this is like the best version of their defense that they've had in the Patrick Mahomes era. Um, and the other thing, too, that the Lions did a rather good job of keeping Mahomes in check as a runner uh, in, in the game that they played. I mean, they were they were calling designed runs for Patrick Mahomes. And it was scary because, yeah. <laughs> you know, it. He he was running. That's when I knew the with, game was over, Ryan. Yeah, they that, that, uh, that overtime run. Like I'm like game over. Yeah, I mean before the I think the angriest run of the night. Um, funny enough, like in a game that featured Isaiah Pacheco and Christian McCaffrey, the angriest run of the night felt like that Travis Kelsey catch where it looked like he was putting everything out there, like he was mm-hmm. laying it all out on that on that crosser route that he almost took the house, um, yeah. but that 49ers defensive back got in the way and ended up with what looked like a stinger or yeah. something. But On a shoulder, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. The, the Chiefs, damn good football team, and Patrick Mahomes is an alien. Like, we, I, I keep saying it, but, I mean, the guy's just superb. He's not an alien. He's a goat. He's, he's an alien goat. He's an alien goat. But I listen, I I because I feel like everyone's gonna be like, wow, you guys are so negative on the lines, whatever, whatever. I, I do want to say this. After watching that game, I did not feel like the Lions were outclassed by either of those teams. I, I would put all three of those teams in the same overall tier. Like Even I know so, like on yeah. any on any given day, yeah, the Lions could have won the Super Bowl. If if we're just talking about, you know, putting those four teams back in a tournament. And just running that tournament 10, 15 times. Do I think the Lions come out winners about a quarter of the time? Kind of. Yeah, I do. Like, I think they were that good. I just don't think it was destined to happen this year. I think, I think the defense, 
I, I think if you if you put all four teams in the same basket, the Lions have the biggest weakness of the four, which is their pass defense. And that would have ultimately sank them in this game, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's that's the only reason I, I agree with you. I think maybe if you play the Super Bowl 10 times between Chiefs and Lions, Lions probably win about four of those, I would say. Like, I'm giving an edge to the Chiefs because it's Patrick Mahomes at the end of the day. He does have answers. I just don't think when it was like, that proved everything you need to at the end. And like this is a, this is not just a Patrick Mahomes with the best defense he's had. That's Patrick Mahomes Ryan with the worst weapons he's had. He had no help. I watched Marquez Valdez Scantling turn a gain of about six yards into a loss of four somehow. I don't understand how that man plays football. Like he did that with a box of spare parts from a closed down radio shack. What do you think against against the 49ers defense? What do you th- how do you think they would have picked on Kendall Vildor? And I'm sorry, I no, don't mean to pick on Kendall Vildor myself. But like, and by the way, the first you, you do mean you, you do mean a broken down radio shack, not even a broken down shack, which is what they were called <laughs> over the past 10 years. You're, you're talking like 15 years ago. I used to go to Radio Shack all the time for <laughs> spare parts, man. I needed that for my jobs. <laughs> Ryan's just nodding his head. <laughs> like, we don't have anything else to say about Mahomes. He's, he's, he's too young to remember Radio Shack. <laughs> oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> are we are we bringing back the Ryan is young jokes? Because I'm that's I'm an old it. that's an old meme. Uh, do you mind if I butcher the rundown for a second? Yeah, I mean, no, I don't mind. Go okay. for it. Let's move on to the next biggest topic. I think I didn't think it was really not a much of a of a conversation that this was going to happen. And yet somehow I, I know we got a little bit spooked, but Frank Ragnow will be back with the Detroit lions. That's the other big uh, subject that I think came out of the week leading up to the super bowl that concerned lions fans. Like we had heard yeah. some talk from Frank after the loss to the 49ers. He sounded pretty defeated. He had sounded pretty like hurt banged up this game is cruel and he has several inoperable injuries i think on his toe jeremy is that yeah correct and there was speculation but he did he did however announce uh i have the quote here that quote i just need a few weeks to get healthy i guess my typical off-season routine is kind of get right back into it but i think as i'm getting older i need to understand that sometimes maybe less is more and i just need some time to make sure i'm healthy again and then we'll get rolling jeremy there's no secret that one of the secret sauces to the lions o-line is frank he is the center's center and i could understand lions fans getting a little nervous when he started talking about that but I am glad to see him coming back. I'm wondering how many more years we'll continue to see him, whether this contract will be his last NFL contract or just how long we will have Frank under center. Is that continuing to be a pressing concern for you covering the Detroit Lions or can they rest easy thinking Frank can play probably like three, four more years? Well, he signed through 2026, so he does have three more years on the contract. That's that's the good news. Um Yeah, I don't know. I mean, part of this feels like Lions fans manifested this news to begin with, because, I mean, they they just looked at it kind of objectively from the outside. Like this guy is going through so many injuries three years in a row now where it's just like you think about it as yourself. Like, would you put yourself through that year in and year out where you're always on the injury report? You're you're limping through the locker room every time, like literally every single day you have to take practices off every single week. Can you mentally and physically go through that? I mean, we've seen a guy like Calvin Johnson retire partially because of going through something similar to that. And to us, it's like it's easy to say, of course, I wouldn't put myself through that. Like, I, I want to be able to, you know, pl- play catch with my kids and chase them around the backyard and whatever, like all that sort of stuff. And and I'm sure all that stuff matters to Frank, but also he's never really hinted at retirement at all. And I understand like you can read into his post game comments and, and locker room clean out day comments and be like, that sounds like a guy who's not so certain about his future. But I think that was, again, like we have this thing that's already in our mind. We, we hear some kind of vague quotes and like, uh Oh, this guy's retiring. And I, I was very glad that Dave Burkett was down at the Super Bowl and very glad that, 
in no uncertain terms, Frank Ragno says, I'm not retiring. Um, and so I, it, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. People are wired differently. Some people love the game so much that they're willing to put themselves through quite a bit. Frank is, is 28 years old. So if he wants to, he can play for another 10 years, right? Like he's that good. He's a top three center. He's going to continue to get paid to play here. He's very important to what they, the lines do here in terms of, you know, calling out protections in terms of getting everyone on the same page in terms of being an extremely smart player. I think that that's the part of Frank Ragnow that gets overlooked and under underappreciated just how smart he is and, and how good of a position he puts a guy like Jared Goff before the ball is even snapped. And so all that's really important. And I can't tell you what's going on in Frank's mind. I can't tell you that, oh yeah, he's going to sign another contract in, in Detroit or, oh yeah, like once the, the end of 2026 happens, he's done. I don't know. At this point, I'm I'm not I'm not even leaning one way or the other because frankly, I just he needs to tell me before I, I I get any sort of inkling because again, like there has not been a word of I'm thinking about retiring or anything like that coming from Ragnos camp. That is just something that has been bubbling in the Lions fan base. I think out of like a place of anxiety. Yeah, well, you said frankly, and that made me pop, and I, I saw chat caught up on that too. So, um, he, here's I guess my two cents about Frank. He if he's not the most important non-quarterback on the offense, I, I you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's third it's close. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yep. he he's so critical to everything they do for all the reasons that you just listed. He's irreplaceable um, in terms of, I don't you're I don't think you're going to find that with the 29th pick in the draft. And like if, if had Frank decided to step away from football, um, that would have been like my largest concern heading into the season, regardless what they did to fix it. Like even if they wanted to bring, you know, if they end up bringing back Graham and and they sign Glasgow, like, yeah, I I want him playing guard. It it doesn't seem like center is his, you know, is is where he should be playing. He can fill in in a pinch and he can, you know, fill in, in in spots there, but Frank is just, he's so incredibly important to everything they do. And I think one of the underrated aspects of it, and I think a lot of people know Frank's story and uh, the type of, um, you know, really close relationship that he had with his father. You know, Frank's wife, Lucy, gave birth to their son or their um, their child uh, this offseason in August. Um, he's a new dad. He's probably thinking... Hey, like I want to be, uh, you know, you, you mentioned it, Jeremy, but like I want to be able to, to to play with my play with my kid and, and not be, you know, lumbering around with injuries and, and making sure that, you know, I'm, I'm I'm trying to. Alex Anzalone mentioned it in the Players Tribune, right? Talking about all the players, like the day of, could barely get out of bed. I have to imagine that Frank was one of those guys with yeah. the laundry list of injuries he had. So, I, I, I I'm assuming that Frank probably loves being a father. And uh, I, I'm sure he wants to be, you know, 100% or as close to 100% as he can. And, and football takes a toll um, on the mind, body, and soul. And I, I hope that he plays his football for as long as he feels committed to it. And, you know, us as Lions fans, we're a little bit spoiled, I think, with the offensive line. And, and Frank is a big reason why. Well, you know what can help Frank get back into fighting shape? Probably meat sticks. He's going to be tearing into some righteous felon craft jerky and meat sticks throughout the offseason. Jeremy, not a visual medium on the podcast side, holding up the bag of OG hickory. That's the standard jerky flavor. But guess what? They got so much more, man. They got Korean barbecue. They got biltong, which is like South, some some Africa, some South African stuff. The teriyaki Balboa again, typical. But then they got like. The Maryland's Monroe, the uh, Maryland, the Maryland crab spice. Where do you get that? Truffalo Bill truffle truffles on your. I love that stuff. I I blow my I got to get some more. Uh, but yes, because the Pride of Detroit POD cast is brought to you by Righteous Feldman Craft Jerky. It's the jerky that fuels your Detroit Lions because it's available to Lions players at the training facilities at Allen Park. They can get the meat sticks and jerky, whatever they so desire. Each two ounce bag of jerky, 16, 20 grams of protein. Each stick has eight grams. We've been doing these reads a long time. We have to keep reminding people this isn't just uh, us saying this because they're paying us. We do like this stuff. We love this stuff. Uh, 
Why? Because Righteous Felon is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania, with locally sourced all-natural black, black Angus beef. And we're about to make it better for you. 15% off your first order. Go to oh, or any order, really. First, second, third, fourth. I don't care. Any order. Why would I even say first? I don't know, because I'm adequate. POD 15 at checkout at RighteousFelon.com gets 15% off your order anytime. It supports us, supports yourself with the gift of meat. That's it. I don't know what else it supports. What could it be supporting? Who knows? You know what we're going to be supporting? Next in the Pride of Detroit POD cast, was Dean Campbell snubbed for Coach of the Year? Was Ben Johnson? We'll discuss that next Pride of Detroit POD cast. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pride to Detroit POD cast. We are absolutely in off-season mode right now. But one of the things that uh, came from this week, besides the Super Bowl, was the NFL honors. Now, there were several NFL honors I did not expect myself to get so invested in, like arguing about the comeback player of the year. That is neither here nor there, and my thoughts about Baker Mayfield are irrelevant. What is relevant, sorry, I got a nod from Ryan, so I'm not, I don't know, I've laid them out on Twitter before, Ryan, on. Yeah, the the comeback player of the year stuff is interesting. I think that Baker Mayfield definitely deserved more attention and recognition for what he did rather than Flacco over, what, five Five games? games. Five games, two less interceptions than Baker Mayfield had all year. I'm just saying, if you weren't going to go DeMar Hamlin, the right answer was there. Anyway, however, Lions were up for a couple of awards, and there were some Lions fans who thought snubs happened. Let's start first with Coach of the Year. Very interesting voting, Ryan, because technically Kevin Stefanski and D'Amico Ryans actually were tied in votes, and Stefanski got the tiebreaker because he had more first place votes. Now, I thought that was a mistake because I thought... um, I, I would have gone D'Amico Ryans, but I understand that's kind of how uh, the voting just kind of just went against him in that regard. But Dan Campbell was at best a distant third in the voting. And I think Lions fans said he should have been coach of the year. I actually disagree on that, but I want to hear your thoughts on that. Should he have been MVP? Were you surprised? I mean, not MVP. Should he have been coach of the year? Were you surprised he was such a distant third? Anything else? Yeah, so let, let's go to the official wording of the award. And it goes to, quote, the the coach judged to have had the most outstanding season. And obviously outstanding is so subjective that you just get lost in, in debates and, and wondering who is truly the most outstanding in their field. Historically, though, I think from, from looking at past winners and even just remembering recently, it's so narrative-driven and it's so important that your team – exceeded expectations if your team did not exceed expectations in the regular season then 
it's kind of tough for you to win the award unless you're just like a juggernaut, right? Like unless you're the 2007 Patriots and you're, you know, you have a, you know, perfect season. You're you're not going to win the award unless you exceed expectations. And I the Detroit Lions in the regular season, I don't think that they exceeded expectations. They did what was set out for them to do. They were the favorites to win their division. They won the division. Had they maybe ended up the number one seed, maybe Dan Campbell wins the award. That got taken away in Dallas. So um, I, I think that personally, D'Amico Ryans definitely deserved the award because he was, I think that he had his team outperform expectations. He was a first-year head coach. He had a rookie quarterback. The team won three games last year. Uh, you know, their their preseason total for over-under on wins was six and a half. They won 10 games. They won the AFC South. I mean, all this voting too, Jeremy, right? It all happens before the postseason. If you take the postseason into account, maybe Dan Campbell wins the award, right? But there's just like things that I think were totally out of his control. As soon as the Lions won week 18 in Green Bay in 2022, I think that maybe that kind of that kind of sealed Dan Campbell's fate in terms of this award. Yeah, and and it, he finished I think seventh last year, which is interesting in it. And itself. Brian Dable wins. The, what yeah. are you? What are we doing? <laughs> well, and and like I think there's some logic to you have to overperform expectations because coaching is hard to measure. It's hard to say what made what influence does this head coach have on the team's improvement, this team's overall play, and if you look at a team's roster and say. This is a fourth place roster. This is a, you know, a a four win team based on the roster. And then they go out and win 10 games. Your explanation for that is coaching. These these players outperformed expectations. You, You, of course, never look inward and be like, maybe I just had too low of expectations for these players. It's no coaching elevated them. And it makes sense. Right. And so you're right. I didn't expect Dan Campbell to win for all the reasons you just said. But I think there is something, I think there is room for this like coaching narrative for coaches who lead a team to breaking franchise records to, you know, if if if, if the Lions win the division for the first time in 30 years, that needs to score some points because this coach has changed a culture of losing into now a culture of winning. It goes a little bit beyond just, okay, we expected this to happen. So, and it happened. Great. Well, it happened because at least in part, it wasn't just Brad Holmes, you know, getting the draft picks, right? It was Dan Campbell getting the culture, right? And Dan Campbell setting the tone with, Brad Holmes is saying, this is the kind of players that I need you to get to get us all that works together. And so does Dan Campbell deserve to win coach of the year? Maybe, maybe not. I didn't expect him to. I was also in the D'Amico Ryan's camp. I don't understand the Kevin Stefanski stuff. And I'll get to that in a second. Dan Campbell deserved to be on every single ballot, every single of those 50 ballots. In my opinion, the fact that he was only on 15 is to me. I don't want to use the word travesty because that's that's. We're I, we're over exaggerating at this point, but fifteen out of fifty ballots is ridiculous. I I'm not I'm not going to hate completely on Stefanski because I see the logic to it in that this man went through. God, Ryan, how many quarterbacks was it? Five this, quarterbacks. Five five quarterbacks, and you still pulled out eleven wins. That is, I think that's the one thing I would say between Dan Campbell and Stefanski. I I too thought probably there should have been more. Uh, votes to Dan Campbell, but I think a big part of if you're a coach of a winning team and you want to get coach of the year, you have to overcome some sort of adversity middle of the season. What Stefanski had to work with was huge, absolutely huge to overcome that, to make those decisions, to try to find the right quarterback and to keep pulling guys until you pull Joe Flacco out of a hat. Um, On the other hand, Dan Campbell had adversity, too, with that the secondary was bad. But unlike Stefanski, I don't think he ever found really an answer to it, regardless of the fact that your answer for Kevin Stefanski then threw back to back pick sixes in the wild card round. But I I just there's there's nothing that I, I agree with you that like the time for Dan Campbell to have won coach of the year last year was what well, I mean, was last year. 
I don't know what he could have like really pulled out of the hat. I I think there is some value to the matter uh, of breaking those records, like Jeremy said, but I think you primed the pump a little bit too much from last year. The, yeah. the only th- thing I want to say on Stefanski really quick is I understand when you lose a quarterback, when you lose Nick Chubb, when you lose some offensive linemen. Not just a quarterback, though. Yeah, but 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 my overall point is like this is our like this is sports media's fascination with like, oh, my God, defense can win games still. That's yeah. crazy because, listen, if if Stefanski had turned all of those injuries on offense into a worthwhile offense, then he would have deserved coach of the year. He didn't. The offense sucked. The passing game sucked. You know, you look at DVOA, they're like 29th in pass offense DVOA. They didn't weather the storm offensively at all. The injuries crumpled them. The defense carried them. Stefanski is not a defensive coach. That's why I don't have a problem and we don't need to necessarily turn the page right now, but I don't have a problem with Jim Schwartz winning defensive coach of the year or, you know, assistant coach of the year because that defense was crazy. But let's not act like Stefanski carried this team in any sort of way. He didn't. The so like the the stat. But here's the thing is like those those stats, those things you bring up are fine, but you won like a crazy number of wins down the road, uh, down the stretch. Because your defense in. Wow. Yeah. Cool. But that's still a defense you're coaching. Like, so anyways, he's not coaching it. And, And like you're also in the same division as the Ravens who are just housing everyone. And still you made the playoffs. Yeah. So in 2021, Rabel won the award. Because his team was just absolutely decimated by injuries. They ended up, they, they, they willed their way to the number one seed in the AFC by some miracle uh, and then got dummied by the, the Bengals immediately. Um, but like by, by their measure, the, by the end of the regular season that year, the Titans had broken an NFL record with 91 players seeing the field, um, which I mean, again, that's part of the narrative, right? And I think maybe that's part of the strings that get tugged on, with with the media when it comes to to voting yeah. for coach of the year. Uh you mentioned it a little bit Jeremy. You want to move on to Ben Johnson was third behind both Jim Schwartz and McDonald. Yeah, uh, I, I guess I, I it it's a little bit of the same thing, right? Like it's a little bit of Ben Johnson fatigue. At we this were point. just I this voting was a very heavy Cleveland Browns across the board <laughs> yeah, though. Which is between Joe Flacco Right. Uh, Schwartz, Stefanski, Miles Garrett, like Browns were cleaning up for whatever reason. And like, I, I think Jim Schwartz deserved it. I think Miles Garrett probably deserved it. I I don't quite understand everything else. Um, but yeah, no, Jim Schwartz deserved it. Ben Johnson gets what? 21 votes, mm-hmm. six first place votes. I'm, I don't have too much of a problem with this one. Obviously Mike McDonald was doing great stuff over there in Ravens. Good enough to, to land a, a, a head coach job um with with the seahawks i believe so yes i don't know i i i think yeah i I think it's a little bit of ben johnson fatigue he placed second in the voting last year and i don't know i mean i think i think he's one of the best defense best offensive coordinators in the league and i unfortunately he's probably in the same boat as dan campbell now where like they just missed that boat they weren't good enough Mm. in 2022 and they weren't new enough in 2023 can i tell you the one other snub i felt from this game i mean from from the awards it's not who you're thinking of i'm not talking about laporta being third on an offensive rookie of the year i'm not talking about gibbs being fourth buddy parker not getting into the hall of fame the guy invented the two-minute offense. Unbelievable amount of championships between the Lions and the, and the Steelers, and that's still not enough to put him in the Hall of Fame. Okay. What else does yeah. an old-ass coach... What, does, what else does an old-ass coach from the 50s got to do? Besides, like, having... Like, he had a dynasty, Ryan. A dynasty. He invented a two-minute offense and coaching, like, Bo- Bobby Lane and Doak Walker. You're not putting him in the Hall of Fame. It's a bummer. Yeah. Anything else for you, Ryan? Um, I did as far as like not not outright snubs, but I did think that 
Mm, I think Brian Branch deserved more consideration because like I was looking mm. at um, some Brian Branch stats uh, while we we're writing our Pride of Detroit uh, site awards um, that we are releasing uh, currently. But I think like looking at Brian Branch and where he ranked amongst cornerbacks this season, uh, like, I mean, really good. Like, I mean, he he did some incredible work and think about the like the Lions secondary, uh, just a house of cards. Right. That I mean, there's injuries left and right. And he's the one reliable guy who like steadied the ship as far as like both in coverage and as a run defender. Like, yeah, Will Anderson probably deserved it. I feel like Jalen Carter started hot and you didn't hear like a ton from him. Um, But I don't know, like Kobe Turner. Yeah, had a really cool season with like the pressures and stuff. And that'll get you a lot of recognition. Devin Witherspoon um, obviously had a really good season until he got hurt. Uh, but like Joey Porter Jr. tied with him. Like, I don't know. I thought Brian Branch had a really, really good season and deserved to be higher than where he placed. Yeah. It, it's it, the voting system is also a little bit flawed when it comes when you get this far down, I think, on the list because Brian Branch had six votes, Joey Porter had two votes, Yaya Diabe had two votes as well. But Joey Porter and Yaya Diabe, who I'm going to be quite honest, I don't know who that is. He had a first place vote. And so did Joey Porter, um, which seems like maybe that's a local beat guy giving his guy some love because mm. that seems a little bit ridiculous. Brian Branch, six third place votes. And so like if, if one of those is a second place vote, he's in five, he's in fifth by itself, which is probably where he belongs. I don't know if I would jump him over any of those other guys, but, you know, Branch was going through some injuries of his own. He's playing a little bit more of a rotational role than some of these other guys. And so. Kind of playing behind the eight ball there, off to a hot start. You know, not as many flashy plays down the stretch, but yeah. shout out to the guy who voted Jack Campbell. This is the second best defensive rookie of the year. I don't know who you are, but I want to meet you because I've, I want to see what you saw. I also want to find out who decided Antonio Gates is in the Hall of Famer. I want to talk to them. I hate the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is getting frustrated, like really frustrating. And the next couple of years are going to be even more crowded. That is just like, what are we doing? Get rid of what are we doing here? Defund defund the Hall of Fame. The committee I've I've the committee has needs some changes. But let's talk uh I want to I want to say though, I want to be on record for like being very pro, always watching the videos of People finding True. out that they're going to be in the Hall of Fame. Yes. That's the it's, best part yes, those of the are Hall great. of Fame. Those are great. Only, only good part. Yeah. Let's talk about some coaching updates. So uh, we got one coach, new uh, new passing game coordinator, but this is for a um, a defensive passing game coordinator with the Lions didn't have last year, Jeremy. It was previously held by Aubrey Pleasant, and that is Deshae Townsend. Yeah. Coming in as, as that plus a new cornerbacks coach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kind of chaotic the way that one was reported originally as def- I mean, initially just reported as a pass game coordinator, which obviously that was Tanner Angstrom's job on the offensive side of the ball. And so you're like, is Tanner gone? What, what's happening? Are they, the lines have never had a pass game coordinator on offense and defense at the same time under Dan Campbell. It was initially under the defense. Then it got moved to the offense. And, you know, the idea is that like a pass game coordinator occasionally works on both sides of the ball. They work on the passing plan on offense and on defense. And so this is this this appears because as we're going to talk about in a second, it doesn't appear Tanner Angstrom's going anywhere. Not that we know of yet, at least. And so it appears they might have an offensive and a defensive pass game coordinator, which is interesting in and of itself. Right. Because obviously you want to keep you want to like keep the passing offense as good as it's been. But there needs to be more attention given to the passing defense. And so maybe splitting up those duties and, and giving more resources to them individually is going to help the team out. I don't know for sure that that's how they were divvying up duties. It, it, it was my understanding that that was how they used to be divvying up responsibilities. So this makes sense to maybe give more um, responsibilities, more, more resources to the defense, to Aaron Glenn and, and Townsend's, you know, another former player guy that comes with a relatively good reputation nothing stellar in his in his resume his coaching resume but 
a guy that that certainly knows how to coach corners as as a former corner. So um, we'll we'll see. Well, you mentioned in there too, uh, Ryan Tanner Engstrom returning. He was a candidate out there to be offensive coordinator for at least three teams: New England, Tampa Bay, and Seattle. But uh, all those positions really filled up. I'm kind of curious to think what this could have been. I know Engstrom is one of those potential candidates who they want to like keep in house in case Ben Johnson goes somewhere next year. And maybe he becomes the offense coordinator promote from within. But what do you make of Tanner Angstrom returning to Detroit? I think you hit on it, right? Like the Lions have a not obvious or not a clear, but a contingency plan in, in case Ben Johnson does eventually, mm-hmm. you know, stop calling plays for the Detroit Lions, which I don't know. Who knows? Like, we'll see if Schefter carried enough water this offseason um, <laughs> uh, to, you know, block Ben Johnson from getting a job. Uh but yeah, I, Jeremy, I, is that like, I think that's a fair assessment, right? Like, it, like yeah, it's yeah. cool. It's, it's, it's awesome to get the band back together. Yeah. And then it is kind of weird too. Like they're, they're keeping the essential parts together, but I also, I, I'm not, I'm not sure if concerned is the right word, but it's, it's at least eyebrow raising that the Lions have cycled through a lot of defensive coaches a lot of defensive coaches like Aubrey Pleasant is gone. We don't really know what the case is with Dre Bly right now, since the Townsend is according to pro football talk going to be the cornerbacks coach. The lines lose their DB coach, which we're going to talk about in, in a minute with Brian Duker. And then you look on the defensive line, like three, Aiden Hutchinson is going to have three different coaches, defensive line coaches in three years. Same with, Ali McNeil like that. That, I, that can't be really good, right? They, they've, they've cycled through some linebacker coaches too, right? Like that, that old uh, Chicago bears linebacker coach. Oh like, yeah. I can't even remember mm-hmm. his name right now, but like, Oh, well, I mean like it, I, I would think after the performance from this past year, like I think it's still warranted. Like what the big problem besides coverage for the DBs is just tackling all year and that's like i know a lot of people uh, we would have these uh, i'd have fights with fans over aaron glenn over this stuff like yeah aaron glenn's making the missed tackles but like that is inherently a position coach sure failing so at least for this year it it feels kind of warranted that we're turning over a lot of these position coaches because like yeah no this was a bit of a, a struggle here maybe you needed more than you know, a year with some of these guys around here. But uh, yeah, I don't really have the answer to why they're turning them over so quickly. I, it is a and, little concerning, but at the same time, like it's also, it also was a flaw in the team right. this year. Right. And and that's why like I'm balancing these two emotions. One, like you need to start getting these coaching hires, right. And two, the, the other side is like, I'm glad that Dan Campbell isn't sitting on his hands here and just being like, mm-hmm. I'm going to accept these coaches that aren't getting their players to play it at their full potential, right? Like there is value in, in recognizing a problem and attacking it. Dan Campbell's never shied away from that. Right. Yeah. There's right. a, there, there's a, there's a, you know, a, a laundry list of Anthony Lynn and, uh, you know, Aubrey Pleasant. Like, yeah, there, there's a lot of instances of Dan Campbell in season making those changes. Right. Sure. But yeah, I think, I think the interesting thing about Brian Duker though, and I think this is where we're kind of wrapping up with the, with the coaching stuff, but like, Duker was promoted all three years he was in Detroit. Yeah. He went from, you know, defensive assistant to safeties coach. What happened last year, guys? Like the safeties played really well. What did Brian Duker do? He earned a promotion to being the defensive backs coach. Like, like that seemed just like a logical progression and a succession for a guy who like seemed to be doing his job well, right? Like, so I, I get some of the maybe concerns that Jeremy has, but also like for a, a case like Duker, like, I mean, that guy like is clearly like getting promoted. I mean, I, I can't yeah. speak to how well the defensive backs played this year in Detroit. And But and- but like he was a guy that almost certainly oversaw Ifatu Melifanu going from corner to safety, right? Sure. Yeah, there's sure. that. And, and, and Miami, right? Like he is getting the passing game coordinator title yep. as well. So it's not like he's making a straight lateral move. Like he's Correct. getting a promotion in terms of responsibilities. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, like it, it's kind of a mystery at this point. We won't really know until the lines officially announce all their coaching changes, which will probably come in the, in the, in the coming weeks. Like, okay, how are you divvying up your defensive back duties now? 
Deshae Townsend, is he is he going to be your cornerbacks coach? Is he going to be your defensive backs coach? Is Dre Bly staying in town? Who's going to coach the safeties? Um, you know, it, it's it's a critical position, right? We're t- we're we're expecting pretty significant overturn in that room, and they they're making changes there because they want improvement. So I don't know if they have all the horses that they want in that coaching staff right now, but. I can't say I'm like super excited about it right now. I, I like to shade Townsend. I'm not, I'm going to be quite honest here. I'm not thrilled with, with the job Dre Bly has done so far. I mean, I suppose you give him, you can give him some credit for Brian branch, but the outside corner was, was kind of a mess this year. And you can even say a guy like Jerry Jacobs took a step back and I don't know. Um, without Brian Duker in that room too, I think, I think that is, was a, a good piece that you no longer have. So I'm I'm hoping there's there's still a an ace up up the sleeve somewhere. I think we covered everything. I think we're good for the off season. So we're done for the off season? No, no, oh. that still lasts for a very long time, unfortunately. Yeah, we have more something. content coming. We'll do a uh, wrap up, a recap at some point. I think of the season. Uh, plenty to talk about because guess what? We only have a month. If you're listening on the podcast, you only we have a month and it's a short month because it's February to go before free agency. True. That's it. That's all the time you're going to get, because then after that, we're going to be hitting you with the draft. We might even start hitting you with the draft a little bit early, too, on some stuff. It's all going to keep continuing because the NFL doesn't really sleep, does it? We're going kicking and screaming, but yes, we we have a job to do. We do. You've been screaming a lot for it. The draft? No. Oh. No, no, no. If there's anything, I, I, I am sure there is something that we have proven on this podcast that everyone on this podcast loves. It's talking about the draft. And that silence As evidenced means, by the dead air. <laughs> yes. Goodbye, everyone. We'll see you star side. The Pride to Detroit POD cast is brought to you by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky, and it's the jerky that fuels your Detroit Lions. Righteous Felon Jerky and Meat Sticks are available to Lions players at the training facilities at Allen Park, and each two-ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein, and each stick has 8 grams. Trust me, if it's good enough for the Lions and the POD cast, it's going to be good enough for you, too. Righteous Felon is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and they use locally sourced, all-natural Black Angus beef, and they pride themselves on superior quality, revolutionary branding, and unique flavors that go beyond the stereotypical jerky offering. For our listeners, we have a special offer for you. Go to RighteousFelon.com and use the promo code POD15 at checkout. Get you 15% off your order. That's POD15 at RighteousFelon.com. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.